Okay, you have your tea. I you do. Have, yes. You have water. <clears throat> yes. Oh, wonderful. Welcome have you ever worked a microphone before? <laughs> yeah. No. First time. First time in front of a microphone. I used to do that. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while. Oh, you look good. Thank you. Feel good. Excellent. Have we uh, done the the push the yeah. pushing of the already? Oh my God! I'm so excited. gentlemen the second official brando cast of the year 2020 is with one of my favorite people on the planet who i do know in real life but i don't get to see it's true i have not seen you in so in a while it's been a while it has been a while we have not watched a movie together we have not nerded out on youtube and shared ancient videos of musicians doing fun stuff nope we need to do that well, let's do that. <laughs> but we're here now. Yes. We're here now in the in the special studio in an undisclosed location with, I would say, legendary. Legendary in my life. Ladies and gentlemen, a real artist, Michael Penn. Michael Penn. Hi. Michael P-E-N-N. Hi, Brendan. Hello, Michael, and welcome to the BrandoCast. I am, I am Thank truly you. honored that you took the time to come out of your lair, where you do so much work, and relaxing to come down. It's it's a bunker at this point, but I appreciate the. Uh, yeah. You left the bunker. I left but the bunker. But that's even a bigger deal. Yeah. yeah. Your safe space. Yeah. If you will. Yeah. Loaded with lots of gear and. Yeah. And stuff. Yes. A beautiful house. One of my favorite houses in L.A. By the way, I do rank my friends' homes. <laughs> I do rank my friends' homes. Yeah. Okay. And you and your lovely uh, significant other Maggie, uh-huh. Nancy. <laughs> yeah. Mary. Yeah. Uh, Esmeralda. Esmeralda. <laughs> you guys have one of my favorite houses. That's nice of you to say. Thank you. Uh, I would say 1919, 1920, 1920. Uh, I think it's 23. 23 Normandy yeah. style. No, Tudor. Tudor. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm me, so I yeah. just think everything is Normandy over there. That's I will not mention where it, it's at, but it's in a great location and yada, yada. Culver yeah. City. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Palms. That's right. They're toning it up. <laughs> we are also here with super producer Richard Sheltinga. Say hi. Hi, Richard. Hello. Richard has driven all the way in today from Woodland Hills to be here with us on this very, this is a special Brando cast for me. Because usually what I do with my guests is I play them a band that they might not know or might not like, and Mm -hmm. then I try to get a reaction out of them and then just see where the conversation goes. But today we're going to play a band that you are responsible for me loving. Oh, really? Yes. Interesting. Yes, because I didn't really know this band. Is it a band that I love? I would say it's a band that you told me you loved oh, as, a child. as a child. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about them <laughs> currently. Well, I can tell you. <laughs> okay, tell me. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's Genesis. Oh, yeah. Feel that. Feel mm-hmm. the power. Mm-hmm. I will say this quick yeah. tangent because yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. going yeah, yeah. to mislead you. We are only mm-hmm. today on the BrandoCast focusing on the Peter Gabriel years. Okay. Thank the Lord. <laughs> yes. We will not be talking about illegal alien or land right. of confusion right. or anything that happened right. after Peter Gabriel left the band. Right. So I will say to the kids listening at home and my Aunt Jean, today is all about Peter Gabriel Genesis. So let me put my 99 cent store readers on so I can read Michael Penn the following. All right. Genesis were or are, we don't know, were an English rock and pop band. The most successful and insignificant lineup consisted of Tony Banks on keyboards, Mike Rutherford on everything else, and drummer Phil Collins. However, the classic lineup included original lead singer Peter Gabriel and guitar god Steve Hackett. The band moved from folk to progressive rock in the very early 1970s, late 60s, and then to pop by the early 80s. Formed at Surrey's Charterhouse School in 1967 by Banks, Rutherford, Gabriel, and their buddy Anthony Phillips, the band's debut album in 1968 was titled From Genesis to Revelation. Genesis. Any thoughts, Mr. Penn? My first thought. Yes. My first thought, having listened to the Jimmy Pardo episode that you did. Yes. Oh, you did listen to it. I did, of course. Okay, yes. great. Is, is, that, is that 
I should let you know now that I do not have Jimmy's gifts of talking. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. and being entertaining. Well, we so, don't worry about so, that here. Okay, so, so just so long as you, you understand that your role in, in large part will be to extract words from me, <laughs> I, think, I think we're going to be fine. Hey, I'm just honored that you're here. <laughs> Because I, I think about you as a, a you, to me, you're a real artist, but you're also a man of, hmm, what, what's it called when someone has a, a learned scholarly gentleman? What, what would the term for that be? I mean, I, you know so much about so many things. Which is, uh, in the time that I've known you, you have I know all a little s- about a lot of things. You know a little about a lot of things. Yeah. I don't know anything anymore. Yeah, well. At all. Yeah. But my, that's the trajectory I'm on, by the way, so. I'm already there. Yeah. So, I got major problems, but you. Yeah, and, and that jellyfish potion doesn't work, so don't. What's jellyfish you know, that, that potion? Prelogen, what that, what they, some stuff they sell at a pharmacy. Am I supposed, is that something that it's people some kind in Los of thing Angels derived are taking from, in? I don't know, I've seen commercials for it. It's, it's derived from jellyfish, and they. And, and they always say the same thing, which is that nine out of ten pharmacists recommend. Sure, because they've got it on their shelves and they want to sell it. They, that's why they recommend it. Okay. It's the only thing out there that supposedly does this. So they get a jellyfish. They and squeeze they, it really they, hard. Oh, no. No, I don't no, know. No, I, don't, no. I, don't, I don't know what they do. <laughs> Maybe they dry it? I, prob- I don't know. And then they, they crush it and then know. you they, snort it? I don't know. They find a gland inside the thing and then they, I don't know. And are we, is it supposed to help memory? memory? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Specifically. I've the- never tried it, but, I, but, I, but the research I've done has, has been pretty definitive. <laughs> it, it, this is available for me to look up online. Sure. If you want to. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Cause my memory is shot, yeah. but I do remember rock and I do remember mm-hmm. you telling me a long, long time ago that mm-hmm. you, when you were young, yes, you loved Genesis. The when I was, Peter when G- I was young, yes. I I, uh, my, I, I am of a weird age. Mm-hmm. Tell me. In that I'm a, I'm a boomer, but I'm a cusp boomer. That means you're a young boomer. Yes. Right. Okay. Uh, but what that means is that my, my formative childhood, because I got into music early, was th- the height of psychedelia. Right. So, and you grew up in Los Angeles, yep. California. Yeah. So the height of psychedelica means that it means, in the air means, is... It means that I, 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 I became aware of the Beatles in 64. Right. I, I, I started to buy 45s when I had an allowance, and they were among the first. Fantastic. And I started to grow into, into a musical awareness as they started to become extremely experimental. Okay. So... You followed the Beatles' trajectory. Totally. Which also helped you to get to everybody else. It, it, it did. And I mean, it, what, it was my, it was my, it was the, it was the musical shoehorn that, right. that sort of got me interested in music. So for me in that, in that particular period of time, I didn't even think of it as rock and roll because rock and roll was fifties music. Right. Rock and roll was right. old stuff. Right. This was whatever it was, but it wasn't that. Right. And that was particularly true with psychedelia because that's, that's, that to me was the thing that was really exciting was that there, it got to a certain point where you can do fucking anything. Right. You can do, you can be, you can be a twenties vaudeville, you know, uh, soft shoe ukulele player song on an album and it's still part of the whole thing. Right. So th- that was exciting. And I think that, I think that there were some aspects of prog rock that were an extension of that. Sure. Because now the psychedelic band, were you listening to the Kinks psychedelic period? Yep. Were you listening to the Yardbirds psychedelic no, period? I was, you were no, not. They, they 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 got too bluesy for me. Fair enough. That was still that was still harking back to to old people music. Fair enough. But Pink Floyd. Oh, so you liked early Pink Floyd? Yeah. Which is out there. Yeah. And because they, they helped set the table truly for yeah. prog rock. Yeah. Absolutely. And I would I would also throw the Zombies in there. Okay. And and the first Genesis album, mm-hmm. the folky Genesis album, is very Zombies ish. Right. And uh, although that's not what that's not how I heard first heard of them, but I, I went back and listened to that first record, you know, as I was getting familiar with what they were doing. But, right. Yeah. But you had the early Pink Floyd records. Yes. Yeah. God, that stuff is so. Yeah. Out there. Yeah. And, and Sid Barrett's solo records. Right. And he was the leader of Pink Floyd who went uh, crazy. Yes. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And, and they started writing a lot of this. A lot of the mid period Floyd stuff is written about him. I mean, right. Shine on you crazy diamond. Yeah. That's yeah. about Sid Barrett. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's 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 just leap into. 
The real period. All right, I'm being taken back to the Santa Monica Civic in 70, whatever it was. But did you see them? Oh, the, yeah. Oh, fuck, yes. That's amazing. Yeah. Let's, let, let's listen to this, kids. Play me old King Cold. The tide This is not a legal alien. No, it's not. <laughs> this is not Mama. All your hearts now seem so Now this is the edge To me, like, this is so out there When this came out Ladies and gentlemen, this is the song, The Musical Box In June of 1970 Genesis recorded Trespass This is their first album as a professional band Immediately afterwards, founding member Anthony Phillips Quit the band due to stress around touring and other such stuff And the original founders, Gabriel, Banks, and Rutherford Almost broke up the band, but they decided to carry on with a new drummer by the name of Phil Collins. Genesis then recruited guitarist Steve Hackett after Gabriel spotted an ad and melody maker which simply read, imaginative guitarist writer seeks involvement with receptive musicians determined to drive beyond existing stagnant music forms, thus cementing the classic Genesis lineup. This version of Genesis got to work and in August of 1971, they recorded Nursery Crime at Trident Studios in London. That album included songs like The Return of the Giant Hogweed, The Fountain of Sala... Salamasis. Salamasis, thank you, and this song, The Musical Box. Now, during this period, their live shows featured Peter Gabriel in a very wild costumes and a hyper-theatrical approach to performance. How long... This song is like 12 minutes long yeah, or something, they, right? This is... That's De Rigueur for this form of music. De Rigueur? Yeah. They, uh, De Rigueur You gotta do it You have to do it You have to make a 13 minute song Okay right If not more Yeah Right And this is proggy psychedelic This is like Out there Yeah Well The the thing is The thing that I loved about this This band In this period was Amongst all the prog bands That attained some degree of success Like yes like yes, but well, I I liked yes because they were they were melodic. They they were their their lyrics were were pretty airy fairy. Yeah. And the aspect of prog rock that is sort of about musicianship is one thing, and I respect a lot of what was going on from a, from a technical standpoint. But I never got into bands like ELP or okay. um, I don't know who, what other prog rock bands can you think of? The American ones were always well. Like, Jethro you know. Tull is a tick proggy. Oh, they they dip their toe they're, in it. They're definitely prog. And they Rush had, is going to be super proggy by the yeah, time they hit the yeah. scene. But this uh, but is they not were, quite but, that period of time. Tull had melodic moments, and and but the thing about Genesis to me that was that was different, and why I liked them was they had a sense of humor about it. Mm-hmm. They have a song about a giant hogweed, for Christ's sake. <laughs> they have, they, I mean, their, their subject matters, their subject matter were these sort of weird, quaint, almost Victorian stories. Well, these are that, educated dudes, correct? They are. That's true. Peter Gabriel. Yeah. Banks Rutherford. Yeah. Go to the Charterhouse School. Yeah. So I, I assume that that's a British public school. Yeah. Meaning a private American yeah. school. Yeah. Moneyed. They, they, did they all come from a little bit of cash? They had to if they, they were going to a British public school. Because yeah. a quick tangent, all of them in old age look like they could be parliament members. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Phil Collins looks like a lorry driver. Right. Who's retired. Right. And the rest of them look like yeah. English gentlemen. Yeah. Who could be on the hunt and the fox is <laughs> running down the... Yeah. Absolutely. They do. Yeah, but they were funny, and I mean, I mean, okay. you know, with with all the sort of, you know, um, I mean, this is, you know, I was into Bowie before I was into them, so the okay. theatrical aspect oh, nice. of it was was familiar to me. But it wasn't, it wasn't to me, it wasn't dumb theatrical like like Kiss or something like that. It was like <laughs> this. I'm sorry, it's dumb theatrical. It's like monster movies. Who gives a fuck about that stuff? Right. But this stuff, this stuff. I mean, he 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 shows up at the beginning of the Santa Monica Civic concert dressed as Britannia. Right. With a staff. Right. And, and, I mean, it's just insane. Can so, you tell yeah, me where my so, country lies? So, for a 14-year-old kid, you know, sitting in the darkened Santa Monica Civic, it was, it was a gas. That's phenomenal. What other shows did Michael Penn see at the Santa Monica Civic Center? Oh, so many of them. Please tell me. Uh, we, I, some, I need uh, to know. I'll, I'll see. I'll tell I'll you some great ones. Yes. I saw, I saw Mott the Hoople. Uh-huh. And the opening act was Aerosmith. 
uh, I saw. And Moth the Hoople, by the way, I only discovered Moth the Hoople about a year ago. Yeah. Because they played the hell out of all the young dudes on FM radio. Yeah. But they didn't play the other stuff. And I was too no. y- I was too young to know well, about not, the other but, stuff. But none of the other stuff really can touch all the young dudes. <laughs> no, no. But there's some good stuff in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alice good is stuff. an amazing song. Yeah. Um, okay, what other, what other shows uh, at the Santa Monica Civic? A great one was Procol Harum, who, who, who um, I'm going to blank on his name, Keith Reed, uh-huh. who I still think is one of the most underrated lyricists of all time. Right. Um, also a little proggy, a little oh, psychedelic. Ab- no, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Uh, uh, actually, I think that first Genesis album might sound more like Procol Harum than, than the zombies, but it's, it's of that form. And you Who saw else? Bowie at the Santa Monica Civic Center? Yeah. And then, oh, you know, I, tr- I tried to sneak into see Zappa. Oh, me, you did. Me and my friend Todd Brunner made up fake Warner Brothers ID badges. <laughs> <laughs> it did not work. Oh, for real? <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. So you went to the back yep. and you're yep. 14, yeah, I think, 15? I think it was 15. 16, right, yeah. with Warner Brother badge. Yeah. Was it like, my dad works at Warner Brothers, so oh, we uh, can we get go, in? We or? didn't go that far. We were, <laughs> just so, young we were just so impressed with the Xerox working that we just... <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. That is a... Did that move ever work for anyone that you knew printing up a, a no. some sort of <laughs> no no but everyone has stories about just like walking into some of these shows too well i think that you know there, there were a lot of doormen who were very very high in, during that era so oh, right you know, probably get past somebody you never did you ever just dip your did you ever go okay i'll go see led zeppelin I'll go I was see never, Black Sabbath. I no. was never into Zeppelin. Okay. I was never into. I was never into uh, Zeppelin. I always thought, man, that's a good band. Why are they singing about gnomes? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I always, I always felt like I always blamed Plant for that because the because the tracks were so great. Um, and uh, and my fantasy was that Zeppelin and Big Brother and the Holder, Holding Company would swap singers. Okay. So that Janice wrote the lyrics for Zeppelin. I thought that would be just fucking great. That is a, you know, that's an incredible, that's an incredible switch. There are some people who would love. Uh, I always thought he was doing her. I thought, oh, I always thought, I thought, I always thought that Robert Plant was imitating her when I heard Zeppelin oh. records. Oh, he yeah. may have been. He may have been. Yeah. yeah I don't know. That's good intel. Uh, <laughs> I'll one, leave it to you to find out. One last show at the Santa Monica Civic Center, if it could come to your mind. Who do you think? Uh, or, or anywhere else in the Los Angeles area for, for teenage Michael Penn. For teenage, yeah. Uh, did, any shows at the Forum? Any shows at the well, Troubadour? Did you go to the Troubadour? Did you? Uh, not as a teenager, no. Okay, because uh, you, you couldn't get into the Troubadour unless you were eighteen or twenty-one. Uh, well, it wasn't that. It was just I didn't want to take buses that far. <laughs> Where were you? Were you in? I was in. I was in Malibu at the time. Oh, because I was going. I was going to Santa Monica High School. Oh, okay. So I would. I would stay. I would stay over at friends' houses a lot on the weekends. Okay. Uh, so I didn't have to trek back uh, uh, up the coast. But and so I, I saw a lot of shows at the Civic. But I didn't. I didn't really venture f- much further than the Civic at the time. Um, because you you had to take the bus in from yeah from Malibu. Malibu yeah. Sitting beside you, I look into your eyes. All, well, these, all, these, all these songs start really quietly, but they get very heavy at some point. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Supper's Ready. This is a 23-minute song. <laughs> Genesis released Foxtrot in October of 1972. Foxtrot, the album was recorded following the very successful Nursery Crime Tour. And did you see the Nursery Crime Tour? No. Okay, you would have seen the Foxtrot Tour. No, I saw the Southern England by the Pound Tour. Okay, great. Foxtrot was the first Genesis album to chart in the UK, reaching number 12. Positive reviews. The album included songs like Watch Where the Skies, which I love, Get Him Out by Friday, and the 23-minute epic Supper's Ready. Which has a, a movement, because they were they were taking the piss. You gotta remember, they were on the same label that Monty Python was on. Okay. Uh, they they were they were taking the piss out of a lot of the sort of prog stuff that was going on, and they have a there's a movement within Supper's Ready called Apocalypse in 9-8, which I just love that they have that. That movement meaning meaning a section of the song, which is delineated in the lyric sheet as a, as a different section right. of the song. And there's nine different sections of the song, Something correct? like that. I don't right? know. Or ten or eleven. There's a bunch. 
you're going to have to tell me what Supper's Ready is really about after I finish reading the following. A lengthy tour covered Europe and North America from September 72 to August 1973. I think their first U.S. show was at Brandeis. Brandeis University in Massachusetts. On this tour, Gabriel wore his wife's red dress and a fox head for the last part of the song, The Musical Box. We could listen to this for the next 20 odd minutes. What is Supper's Ready about? Where does the, the birds um, and the and the yeah. worms and the earth and the I have no fucking clue. It was <laughs> you just it was a ride and you went with it. I mean I right. I remember reading at one time that that um that it may have been like some weird dream Gabriel had or I think it might have been hash induced. Or something? Did they? Did you, did no, you get they, the were not, they, they were not. not druggies, they were but, not druggies. But I think he. I, I can't remember. This is. I mean, that was. You know, this was when I was a kid. I read this in probably Cream magazine. Right. Uh, but but it was something. It was it, it was Gabriel wrote the lyrics, and it had something to do with some kind of vision that he had that was just sounded insane. I bet Gabriel had many visions. Yeah, probably. This. How you get from here to any of his like poppy solo stuff. Is incredible Peter to Gabriel's? Peter Gabriel. Well, yeah, I mean, it's an incredible trajectory. Yeah, it's, you know, big time yeah, on yeah, yeah. my way. I'm making yeah. it from this. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. you could have gone. He could have gone mad writing this. Yeah. <laughs> he may have. <laughs> he may have. All right, give me a sense of Malibu in the '70s. I need to know. Okay, because there, it's not Nobu. It's not Kardashians. No, it's not. Uh, it's farmland it's where we farmland. were. Yeah, it's 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 a. Uh, my my folks uh, moved to California when I was two ish, uh-huh. and they just they went. They were at Beechwood, and then they were in Van Nuys, and then they were in Sherman Oaks, and then they were in Woodland Hills, and then they were in Malibu, and they just kept moving. West. They kept moving that way, yeah. So they they wound up in North Malibu on Point Doom, which at the time was literally so rural that people had you know. Uh, you have farms and little and plots of citrus. Like wildlife. what would they do? Like citrus farms and all everything, everything. Right. Yeah. Mountain lions coming down from the hills. I don't remember any. Although I did have a chicken coop. I was raising chickens when mm-hmm. I was a kid. Wow. Um, but it was. But but it was. I think. I think uh, uh, it was spurred on by my mom who who wanted to get out of the city because of the smog. Right. And my dad was kind of going, oh, that's a long trek to the studios. Because he, he was, was a TV director. He was a TV director. Right. Yeah. So, so he, he, he went with it and he finally wound up loving it. And uh, uh, it, for me, it meant I got, I had to take a bus to, to Santa Monica for my high school years. Right. Um, so that was a bit of a drag when you don't have a car. Right. And what was Santa Monica High School like back then? Um. Uh, you know, it was I, I, it was the only high school I knew, so I can't really compare it to anything. Right. It, it was. Um, but there it, must have been so many different types of groups that were at Santa Monica High School back then. Sure, but isn't that isn't I that mean, pretty much the same? I guess so. Yeah, probably. But that's such a you know, it's such. I mean, Santa Monica is so dense and. Yeah, well, and especially coming from Malibu, where I, I went to the junior high in Malibu, and that was a very very small school. Right. So. Uh, uh, so what? What's the first grade of? Is it tenth? Tenth, eleventh, twelfth was high school. Right. So I didn't have a lot of friends at the junior high school, and so by the time I got to San Monica High, it was just it was fairly overwhelming amount of people. I would imagine. But you know, I found my little clique, which was all just music nerds. Okay. And we were we were the ones who were extremely snobbish on the quad. You know, we uh-huh. would just we would just sit under the trees uh-huh. and talk music and and geek out about music and and. Really hated almost everything. Did and you I do still a band? Do. Oh yeah, I okay. had a band. Yeah, what absolutely. was your band's name? Fuchsia. Fuchsia. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we we um, uh, here's the best part because the, the 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 only heavy metal I really loved yes was Crimson. Okay, um, uh-huh. and I still think that Red is probably the best heavy metal record ever made. Fair enough. Uh, but uh, in that band, I sat down to play. Which was my little that homage to, to Robert Fripp. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. So yeah. you had a little stool on stage? I had a stool on stage. You know, you're working pedals, man. You're working multiple pedals. You need those feet. Here's the best part. Fuchsia, yes. Fuchsia, yes. Fuchsia got a gig, or we, we arranged a gig at the Venice Pavilion, which I don't think exists anymore, but oh, which was down in Venice. It was basically, it was basically an, uh, a, um, uh, an old dance hall. No, uh, it was like a amphitheater. It was like an amphitheater that somebody put a lid on. Okay. Okay. So we spent the entire day 
putting foil on the windows because it was a daytime gig. Okay. And we wanted mood, man. <laughs> so we put foil on all the windows and we had some really rudimentary lighting. And, you know, the, the, the two or three dozen people that showed up came in, sat down. We started the gig and I started to play and I, I'm sitting there on this stool with my feet on my pedals and I'm listening to my amp and I'm going the fucking vibrato's on my amplifier because the guitar's going uh -huh. and I turn around and, I, and it just occurs to me at some point I don't have vibrato on my amplifier and I look down at my foot and it's on the volume pedal and I'm so nervous that it's just it's working the volume pedal like a vibrato it was annoying how did that gig go oh though? it was terrible <laughs> It was just awful. Did you open up for anyone, or was that no, a special no, Fuchsia show? This was a Fuchsia show. And back then, there's no Twitter. There's no, no Facebook. Thank the Lord. You know, <laughs> thank the Lord there was no one with a camera. <laughs> so that was not chronicled. No one had a Super 8? <clears throat> no, not that day. Oh, man. Yeah. And, and, of course, we didn't have phones that had little cameras on them. No, that that is a lifesaver for me. Wow. Damn. Yeah. The Venice Pavilion. Yeah. Was that near the Venice Pier? Was that right down sort of in the heart of all the man? I honestly don't remember exactly where it was, but it, I mean, Venice isn't that big, so it had to have been fairly close to it. Right. So now at this, when was Fuchsia? Was that That was the end of high school, so okay. I was, you know, I don't know, 16, 17. Okay. And then are you becoming even more aware of what's happening in LA, just in terms of the, diff the different scenes that were going on around that time, like the scene at the Troubadour, or yeah, like the bands playing on the Sunset Strip yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that? Yeah. That, so, so the, And the Ash uh, Grove the, was still open on the Santa Monica Pier, right? I I think so. And what what I, you're, I'm going to have to think about what bands were around at that time because I'm, I'm my my chrono my chrono I, I was well, so the bird, out of the what birds was, are the birds are transitioning into countryish stuff. That, Crosby has have, left the birds. That, yeah, Laurel yeah. Canyon is done. Laurel Canyon is done. Okay. Pretty much. Yeah. So that was a kind of an odd period in L.A. for music stuff too because punk is not yet ascended in L.A. No. Hard rock is sort of getting tired and old. Yep. All the, was, the, the yeah. Starwood and all those places. Yeah, are it's, I, dead. it was it was it was it was terrible, which is why I okay. I completely rejected rock music for a long time after okay. at, at that point. That's when I that's when I started to get really interested in like what I guess you would call art rock, but it's sure. just like between the residents and Henry Cow and you know stuff that was really just like fuck it all. You okay. Know? And and using different instruments to yeah. and, produce and, sounds, and using different instruments to produce sound, using the studio as an instrument that was right. a big deal. I mean, I was uh, a couple of my friends who were in the band um, got me for my birthday. I, I don't remember what year this was. It was probably a year after high school. But got me for my birthday the first Brian Eno record as a joke. Uh huh. And were shocked when I went. This is fucking awesome. Uh -huh, and then, uh -huh. and then I finally convinced them how good it was and and why. So that sort of led me in other directions. So your tastes are your tastes are, are out there. You're I wouldn't say avant garde, but it's out there. The stuff that you liked and were drawn to. I, I mean, just were you like, listening to I Roxy liked, music? I was listening to Roxy music for a while, but then then I just left with Eno and went down that Eno road. Right. Um, and then I got really really into this movement that was happening in Europe called rock in opposition, which was, I was, you know, I was a, I was precocious enough as a 17 year old to sort of proclaim myself to be a socialist. So I got really into political stuff and, okay. and, and, um, there was this movement called rock in opposition, which was sort of in opposition to, to the multinational corporation world. Mm -hmm. And, and there were a lot of bands involved in that. And it was sort of, uh, kind of centered around this this English group called Henry Cow, uh, particularly their drummer, a guy named Chris Cutler, who formed uh, a record distribution company called Recommended Records. And, and through Recommended Records, I got turned on to all sorts of stuff from all over. And it was really exciting because it was, it was people doing really, really different things. Okay. How are you finding this? Because there's no internet. No. Where's your record store? My record stores were Licorice Pizza and uh, what was the other one? Moby Disc. And they and Moby Disc had a really robust import section. Okay. So once you start to sort of get a little in, and you and you you find out oh there's this independent 
company, completely indie, right? Doing stuff, a lot of DIY stuff, a lot of a lot of really experimental music from all over the place, and you just wrote for you wrote to them for a catalog, and you got a catalog. You wrote, you would write to the indie yeah. label yeah. and say, "Hey, I love your stuff. Yeah. Send me your next yeah. stuff, or you or get just, on the subscription you, stuff, you get, or whatever. You get a physical catalog, an illustrated catalog. Good God! And Cutler was great about this. He would he would write these really loving explanations of who these artists were, what they were doing, why it was good. Wow. You know, and and it was great. It was really nice. Yeah, and it is it is it's it very much the kind of thing that is so you know blo- people are blase to now with the internet, but at the time it was like. You know, it was it was kind of magical. Would the dudes at Moby Disc or Licorice Pizza help in that stuff? Were, were they like the yeah, kind they of people were, that they were, like, hey, yeah, Michael and, and Rhino too? Yeah, they they knew they knew their they knew the catalogs and they, right. they knew a lot of this stuff. Wow! If my record shopping was limited to, um, I don't even remember what the big chains were at the time. There was probably more department store record departments than anything else. But right, I would never have you know stumbled upon big star three or you know whatever whatever records i happen to scroll across in the in right the, you know and would you buy something just because it was on a certain label like if you knew if you times, liked a certain uh, label like yeah. i know because i did that with punk rock yeah there were like there was a label in southern california called sst sure and i would basically just buy whatever it was on sst yeah or twin tone in minneapolis yeah yeah, yeah. no 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 that I, I, I that that was very much so i mean you would you would especially with recommended records i would do that but even with charisma because of the fact that i like genesis i would check out some of their other stuff and none of it really said much to me i mean there was van de generator there was linda's farm there was they they sort <laughs> the of legendary linda's farm linda's farm i think they're uh, sure linda's farm it's very gaelic-y sure so i think i think they kind of ran the gambit of you know like jazz rock to to sort of folk ish but all with a sort of progressive bent there was, you know, there was a lot there. But you had to work to find it. Which you, you had to work to find this stuff. That's the yeah, thing. Because I didn't want to listen to Kiss records, <laughs> and that's what everybody in high school was listening to. Is that true? That's, yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah. So you did not see Kiss when they when they came. No. This. <laughs> Do you want to go with us? We have a box <laughs> when they're playing in March. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's I know. I know. I know they're de- near and dear to you. Well, no. It was like oh, never oh. my. Never my jam, Iron Maiden neither. I was the perfect age for Kiss. Yeah, yeah. Because I was I, in fifth grade when they, yeah, 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 yeah. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. In 1973, Genesis released Selling England by the Pound, which featured this song, I Know What I Like, in your wardrobe. This is kind of poppy. Very pop. It's their first hit single in the UK. Several of the Selling England uh, songs became fan favorites, like Dancing with the Moonlit Night and A First to Fifth. The band hit the road for another extensive tour, and Gabriel went bonkers with costume changes before nearly every song. He wore, as Michael said before, a full Britannia costume with a helmet and shield for Dancing with the Moonlit Night, and he sang The Battle of Epping Forest with a stocking over his head. And again, Michael was there at the Santa Monica Civic Center for this wonderful I... I and my friends, Mark Stegman and Bob Dassey, we went to see the musical box. Oh, right, yeah. And they are the world's foremost, Richard, Peter Gabriel Genesis cover band. They don't do, well, they might do like Abacab era Genesis, but they concentrate on this stuff. And they did a recreation of the of the Selling England tour wow. from start to finish wow. at the Rose Theater in Pasadena. They went nuts with everything. The dude did every costume change. I have no idea how I got it. I will admit to the world that I had an edible before the show. I had a dark night of the soul. Oh, dear. (laughs) Sometime (laughs) during, uh, I forget which song they were playing. Um, It may have been Watcher of the Skies. And I realized that, that my world was getting really small and I could only see like a quarter in front of me. And, uh, and I didn't really come out of that until supper's ready. <laughs> and I just kept remembering the Jerry Garcia law, which is when you get confused, listen to the music play. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. Yeah. I, I, of course, thought that an edible would enhance the experience. But all I could think of was like, this was the fucking former Gelson's on fucking... <laughs> 
on fucking where the fuck we're in Pasadena. Why, why are these guys touring with this? But what are they doing? Why is everyone older than me? I mean, it was just so, it was so, why am I still living in LA? What happened to my dreams? And my, oh my God, what am I wow. doing? Yeah, it was crazy. Well, knowing some of the costumes he was imitating, I think he got off easy. You could have gone, gone down a very, very, very dark road. What song does he put the old man mask on? That's the musical box. That's he starts the musical box with just in regular stuff. Then he puts the old man thing on. Yeah. Then he puts the fox head on. Uh, yeah, I think the fox head sort of floated. <laughs> he could use it. He could use it whenever he felt the, the crowd was leaving them. What? A song does Peter Gabriel sing in the giant sort of bubble costume with like big giant warts on it? That's from the Lamb. That's okay. that's that's that, that which is a show I saw at the Shrine Auditorium. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're gonna get to that in a little bit. That yeah. character, yeah, is the, the uh, what's it called? That's not the hogweed. No, not the hogweed. I can't remember what it's called. The the there's a name for those critters. Sure, I can't remember. What's a fountain of salamis? I don't know. <laughs> And what is a first of fifth? It's it's a it's a body of water. And I oh, can't, okay. I can't remember what because it, it starts at the path is clear. Uh, I know. Oh no, eyes I, I can see. This. I always hated that. Song. The course laid down long before. <laughs> no, never did it for me. So that's the fox truck. Firth. Firth. Firth of fifth. Firth of fifth. Yeah. Anyway. It sounds like a British pub somewhere on exactly, the countryside. Exactly right. All right. So when do you, when did, did, what happened to Fuchsia? How far did you guys take Fuchsia? Uh, you know, all the way to ninth period. <laughs> uh, I don't know. We, we didn't, you didn't, didn't get a it deal. Didn't, it didn't, uh, it didn't, we almost got a fucking deal, man. Okay. Yeah. There was a guy named Tony Harrington who ran a record company called All Ears. Sure. And he, and we were playing, one of the guys in the band's father was the pastor of St. Saint, uh, Augustine's by the sea. Okay. And they had a giant rec room that we used to rehearse in. So one day we thought, well, why don't we do a gig out on the steps of this church? Because <laughs> not, not only would that be awesome, but one of us could run up and, and play the Karelian so the oh. bells would go off while we were playing. So we, we did this gig and this guy was passing and he gave us his card. He said, you guys, he was a British guy and he goes, you remind me of the doors. And we thought, oh, <laughs> What was your dress like? What was your, what, what, yeah, what we style didn't, are you doing? We, we, you, didn't you have, didn't, we didn't have any style until until one of the band, I can't remember if it was me or somebody else, just stumbled upon these chemical warfare out- outfits at a, at a uh, army surplus store. Sure, right. They're and, perfect. And we wore those for a brief period of well, time. That's very Devo-ish. Yeah, it was a bit, a little bit. But uh, uh, but the band the band did not survive the high okay. school years, no. Right. Did you, are you still friends with any of the, uh, the uh, future guys? Well, we're friendly. They're, they, everybody's scattered. Right. But, yeah. As so happens. Yeah. So when do you, may I ask, when do you go, okay, I'm going to try to make this happen for me? Well, you continue I, on as, I a, continued as a troubadour? On, I continued on to to write and record music. I, 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 at some point, was able to afford to buy a four-track machine. So mm-hmm. I set up a little studio. And I was continuing to work for a while with one of the guys in that band. Uh, then I... Um, got involved with a group of musicians and formed a band called Doll Congress. Actually, before the before Doll Congress was formed, I was Doll wor- Congress. Doll Congress, mm-hmm. yeah. But the singer in the band, who was my girlfriend at the time, got some interest from a punk label called What Records uh, that put out the Germs Records right. and uh, yeah. a few other groups at the time. There's a guy named Chris Ashford in town who was who had up that label. And my first rec- my first professional recording was producing her her record for for What Records, and the f- the first. Session, I think Pat Smear was on that session. No shit from yeah. the Germs, who's yeah. now in who's Foo, now Fighters. Foo Fighters. Yeah. Anyway, I started recording people because one of the reasons why I'm not doing this anymore is I, I never liked performing live. I always thought I could be Harry Nielsen and just bury myself in the studio. Fair and enough. That's all I ever wanted to do. Right. 
so I was producing them and, and then I formed this band doll Congress and Gabriel was the singer and not me. And Gabriel Morgan is her name. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, you know, but I would, I would write songs and they would start to coax me out to try to start singing. And that's when I started singing. Did you ever dip your toe in the LA punk scene? Cause this is by the late seventies, the LA punk scene X, the blasters, early Los Lobos. And then of course the germs and black flag and all that. That's the only, a, the only, did you ever, the only part of the LA punk scene that I really liked was X. Yeah. I didn't really, it, the other stuff didn't speak to me. Yeah. There, there was stuff in the, in the British punk scene that I liked, but I was more interested when it just started to morph into new wave. And then I got, I got the thing that actually got me out of the super art stuff was first REM record. Oh, and XTC. Oh, and those two, okay. those two things wow. made, made me go, Oh, you can actually just write normal songs and it'd still be good. Right. So, so you have respect for murmur. The first R the R first REM album, I think, is beautiful. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, that's good intel. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't have guessed that. I wouldn't have yeah. guessed that you would have like said, "Okay, Doll, I like that." Doll Congress opened for REM. Fuck yeah! Yeah, where was that at? Uh, Spirit Club, San Diego. That's fantastic. Yeah, were there Doll Congress T-shirts made up? Absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. Sweater vests. <laughs> what, was, was that the look? No. For real? No. Oh, but wouldn't that be good? That would have been amazing. Yeah. Oh, that would have been amazing. Everyone has to be in a sweater vest except for the lead singer, <laughs> who does just something a little bit different. That's right. No. In DC, with a, an embroidered DC logo no. No, we, on the, we on were, the we sweater were, vest? We were, we were odd. I mean, it, it, it wasn't like we were, we were super pop. I, I, at that point, had gotten really into this band called Slap Happy, which is sort of a, a another weird eccentric British outfit with an American and a German singer and a British uh, guy mm -hmm. who, was, who was doing experimental music. And they, they were writing these sort of weird pop songs. And I thought, oh, here's a way to do pop and make it really kind of bizarre. So we just to give you one little tidbit of Doll Congress, the, the lead singer, Miss Morgan, would, would play a, a large pipe just hit a pipe like a lead pipe like a lead pipe sure yeah yeah, yeah. fuck yeah because that's what you do and hit it with a stick yeah you do it that's what you do at the spirit club before orion <laughs> what did you open up for anybody else well a lot of a lot of stuff that you know you would probably not know like there was a band we would play wongs a lot and there was a band called the fibonacci's okay oh madam wongs at madam wongs yeah. wow amazing there was a, uh who else was around at that time quick tangent madam yeah, yeah. wongs was just a chinese restaurant well there were two madam she, wongs okay there was madam wongs east which okay. was downtown right and then there was madam wongs west which was a Chinese restaurant that was converted into a or that they had a chosen. Yeah. She would just, or she, I, I think there was a matter. Yeah. Right. There was. And she would just let the people take it over. Uh, yeah. I mean, this was, this was right before the pay to play period. Uh, okay. So I think she kind of got swept up in some of that at some point later on. But, but when we were playing there, you would try to hustle and get people into the show. And then the more people you had, the more likely you'd be playing there again. You know, I'm, I have to say, uh, selfishly, I I nerd out for this stuff because I love this period of LA stuff. Richard and I went to see John Doe of X mm -hmm. and a bunch of other sort of punk luminaries from that era. Right. Charlotte Caffey from the Go Go's. Right, 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 right. Do a, they were at Largo. They did like a, uh -huh. Dana Gold moderated a panel discussion right. because there's a new book out that John Doe helped put together and Richard actually represents one with Tom DeSabia. And the title of that book is more fun in the new world. It's sort of personal narratives of what was happening right. in their scene during yeah. that period of time. Right. Late seventies. Right. And who top Jimmy was the real top Jimmy Van Halen wrote a song about him where the go-go's live. They lived on Cherokee in this, Hollywood. This was a whole period. I did. I didn't, I wasn't playing live in this period. Sure. This was like, this was before doll Congress. This right. was like the, the, when doll Congress was around, it was, it was, we were sort of a reaction against the hair metal scene, which was the big scene. Well, right. Yeah. That's, you I mean, it, truly the Motley Crue, the very early Motley Crue's yeah. Van Halen, Angel. I, I don't imagine you were a fan of Angel. No. <laughs> no. Did you ever see Van Halen accidentally? No. <laughs> not, even, not even opening for anybody. <laughs> I mean, walking by a bar in Van Nuys where they happen to be playing. No. And they, okay. No. <laughs> never at the Troubadour. No. Never I, at, at Gazzari's. I can appreciate some, some of Van Halen's. Stuff. You didn't go to Gazzari's to see Van Halen. I did not. <laughs> the wet t-shirt night yeah. there nope <laughs> no nope. oh my yeah, gosh that's well, well, van halen history yeah yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but but i'm fascinated because
because there are all these sort of different scenes going on. But yeah. then the punk scene really, it was very DIY and yeah. everyone lived together and everyone slept together and everyone worked together and and some of them made it. Yeah. Through. And, and the DIY aspect of the punk scene was the thing that was most appealing to me because it was it was that's what I wanted to do. That's what I wanted. To, I wanted to make my own records and do everything myself. Right. And I and and part of that was just being amazed that people could do that. Like I remember when the first McCartney solo album was out, and it was like turns out he plays it all himself with his little Studer four track, and you yep. go, you can do that. Right. And then you think you can't do that because that's Paul McCartney, and you're fucking not Paul McCartney. <laughs> and then Emmett Rhodes does it, and it's not as good as McCartney, but he did it. Right. And you go, okay, well, it's you can do this, I guess. And then. Um, that becomes a, a a a real aesthetic, and then I remember one of the things that I that I discovered in that period was this guy R. Stevie Moore, who was making records out of his bedroom. R. They, Stevie Moore. R. Stevie Moore, and they were really inventive, and they sounded like shit because it was like a bad quality, you know. But it was he would overdub, and it would overdub on the overdub, and it would get sort of decayed in quality but it still was inventive and interesting and and then he would just get it out like yeah yeah like yeah, literally like yeah. out of the back of his car or Pretty that kind much. of stuff wow yeah, amazing yeah. yeah but i loved i loved that um aspect of it wow uh you never saw you never drove to van halen or to pasadena to see van halen play a backyard no once, once, once again amazing. van halen <laughs> was <laughs> Wasn't so you won't radar. go see David the David Lee Roth uh, residency show at the House of Blues in Las Vegas. No, I you, will not. <laughs> no. no, ladies and gentlemen, back to carpet crawlers. Mm. Just look, silence for two seconds, Brendan. Quit talking. Imaginary creatures are trapped in birth on celluloid. <laughs> The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway. This is it. This is the beginning of the end as well. Yep. The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway was released as a double album on November 18, 1974, Michael. It tells the story of Rail. This is the story of Rail, a Puerto Rican youth from New York City who embarks on a journey of self-discovery. And he encounters bizarre incidents and characters along the way. During the writing and recording sessions for Lamb, Gabriel temporarily left the band to work with director William Friedkin, which put strains on the rest of the band. This, coupled with Gabriel's demand to write all the lyrics for this record. Lamb peaked at number 10 on the UK charts and number 41 in the US. They supported the album with a huge tour across North America and Europe. They played the album in its entirety on 102 dates. You saw this tour, of course. Yeah. Where was that? Santa Monica Civic Shrine. Center again? At the Shrine. Oh, you said that. Right. I was I was paying attention. The Shrine Auditorium downtown by USC. Incredible. That would have been an amazing show. During their stop in Cleveland, Gabriel told the band he was leaving at the end of the tour. The decision was kept a secret from the media through the tour, and Gabriel promised the band to stay silent about it to give them time to prepare for a future without him. By August, the news had leaked to the media anyway. Gabriel wrote a personal statement to the British press titled Out, Angels Out to explain his reasons for leaving. In his open letter, he explained his disillusion with the music business and his wish to spend extended time with his family. This is a quote for you. Tony Banks later stated, Peter was getting too big for the group. He was being portrayed as if he was the man and it really wasn't like that. It was a very difficult thing to accommodate. So it was actually a bit of a relief. That was my Tony Banks impersonation. That was just for you. After an extensive search, the band decided to let Phil Collins take over on lead vocals and the rest is Genesis history, which we will not talk about. Even though I love Trick of the Tail, the first Genesis record with Phil. Right. On lead vocals. There you go. Carpet crawlers. Mm -hmm. So by this time, you're you're even transitioning out of Genesis. Uh, no, I was still I was still enjoying. I, I mean, I enjoyed this record. The, the the weird thing about Genesis is their first few records don't sound great. They're not well recorded. Uh -huh. And then suddenly with Selling England, it's it sounded so much better. It was so so much well recorded and it was so much more rich sounding. And the problem for me was that by the time they hit the lamb, Banks had discovered synthesizers. Right. And I always found that annoying. 
their their earlier stuff was in terms of the keyboard was piano, organ, and mellotron. Right. And then when he discovered synths, it's like everybody just used all these presets that just sounded like fucking ass, and they would and they and they and and. I don't know. It just bothered me. So understood. So so I I was I started to get squirrely because there was some of that on the lamb that but that just sort of stuck out as being annoying. But was, what was your first instrument? Was it piano or was it guitar? It was guitar. Okay. Yeah. But you can also play the hell out of the piano. So did you? I wouldn't say hell, but I, but I can. You're you're. <laughs> that's that's my way of that's uh, Brendan's way of saying. But you're a decent piano player. I'm I'm okay. Yeah. I, I can I can fake it enough. Yeah. Right. Okay. You can fake it. I, I can. I can. I can. I can. I, I'm serviceable on drums, bass, and piano, but guitar is my main deal. Right. And have, did you do that the entire time? Like, okay, I'm just going to keep learning how to play every instrument. Well, it was. It was. Yeah. I mean, you sort of had to if you were alone in a bedroom trying to make a demo. Understood. Know, you had to. And the thing I know about you is that you love vintage instruments and crazy out there sort of things. I mean, you've 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 said, hey, this is a this thing right here is a what's the glass instrument that Benjamin Franklin oh, invented? The, it's a glass harmonica, right? Yeah, a yeah glass yeah. harmonica. Yeah, right. Regular people don't know about that kind of stuff, huh? But you well, have an appreciation for gear. I, I have appreciation for musical instruments. Okay, um, and yeah, some gear, sure. Right. Yeah. But, Recording but, equipment. But see, non-musicians don't think no, about of, it in, of course the, in the same way. Of course not. But you're looking for sounds. Yes. And that's a very, very unique sound. And it's basically what it is, is a mechanized way of doing what you can do with wine glasses, where you, you can sort where of you create a pitch woo. when you rub the sound. Right. So a, a, a person who's playing this instrument, it's this, it's this sort of cascade of ever-increasing glass bowls right. that are on a mechanism that rotates. Right. And you play it like, like almost like a keyboard, where you can create chords by playing the edges of these things as they're rotating by a mechanical device that Benjamin Franklin invented. Right. And it's incredibly beautiful sounding. Have you used that? I've used samples of it, but I've never played the actual instrument. Okay, fair yeah. enough. Because there's probably, what, three of them left in no, the No, they're around. But, okay. I mean, as all these weird, unique instruments, they've got their guys that are like the current guy who, like, if you need it, you call the guy. Right. So there are guys. Or gals. And may I ask now, because I haven't seen you in a bit, now you're working on the films and the television. The films and the television, yeah. Right. And how's that going? It's going great. Right. Um, I spent six years on Girls, uh, Mm -hmm. and then I did a show called Masters of Sex, Mm -hmm. and then uh, I just did, uh, the last thing I did was uh, Frankenstein's Monsters, Monster Frankenstein. Sure. It was for old John Levenstein. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, the John Levinson. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I didn't really know that. Um, and how, how do you find that? I mean, is, do you feel like that really sort of fits you? Because you can just lock yourself in a room and gear out and... Well, I, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it fits me in that I get to do recorded music. And it's really yeah. the only area of recorded music that you can now make a living at without setting foot on a stage. So right. I'm happy. Right. That's fantastic. Do that. Right. Well, guess what? We're done. We've come to the end of the road. So this is Apocalypse in 9-8 right here. <laughs> well, this is, this is sort of the end of the road for Genesis. This song is Peter Gabriel's Salisbury Hill, mm-hmm. which is arguably about him being free from the band. Yes, exactly. The it, lyrics. It's also one of the greatest parodies of a movie ever with Shining. I don't know if you ever saw that. <laughs> Did someone cut a, the Shining trailer to this? It's so good. Is it on YouTube? Of I'm course. sure it is, yeah. Right. But it's not the Shining in this configuration. It's just called Shining. <laughs> <laughs> this fits on in any movie. I could mm-hmm. see the this fits on any movie trailer. Yeah. Salisbury Hill. Yeah. You know, because it, it's about it's about freedom. Yeah. And joy. Yeah. And, and I'm going to be okay. <laughs> I want to thank you so profoundly for coming down. Thanks for having me. Out man. of your lair. I mean, this, my, to yeah. me, this is this is how I want to spend my day. So I, I could not, I'm true, I could not be more thrilled that you came and did this with me today. My pleasure. Um, I hope you'll let me take your photo. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Richard, I want to thank you, of course, for coming down from the hills of, of Woodland today and doing this with Michael. So until next time, cats and kittens, Salisbury Hill. Things are going to